0: Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being with us. Now that you're all comfortable, would you please stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning? Matthew chapter 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're a guest here today, uh, thank you for being with us. We're in a study on the teachings of Jesus, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. And we're studying just what Jesus had to say. And uh, let's read. Matthew 5 and 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he changes his metaphor and he said this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, may your word go deep in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thanks once again, and for those who are watching online, we have realized that many watch online first and then uh, choose to attend, so we hope you'll come and see us one of these days. A uh, couple weeks, we're starting an 80, 80, I even hate saying it, an ADM service. And we are excited about it, and mostly. And we are excited about it. And we hope you'll get excited about it too. We're, uh, we're working out some different things and just praying that, for 400 at least, 500, 600, 1,000 are gonna to come to that 8 o'clock service. And, uh, you know, we're gonna have free coffee, we're gonna open up the cafe, we're gonna have, have lottery tickets, whatever it takes. I mean, and uh, we're just gonna get you here. And so we're looking forward to that service. And so please, Saturday nights or, or 8 o'clock, we'd like to make more room for our community. God's doing something. And we'd like to join him in what he is doing. And so it means making more room uh in in our, our our main services though that 9 30 and that 11:30 30 service now a week or two ago i was on a retreat with a couple of the pastors this last week and it was a great time of of planning and looking forward and these things week before i was up in vancouver at regent college taking a class on heresy heresy in the first through four, fourth century and yes it was just exciting as you just might imagine and uh Uh, You know, we talked about Montanism, Arianism, Docetism, Valentinianism, which was pretty interesting. And then everybody's favorite, Gnosticism. And as I thought about all that stuff we were looking at, I did come up with something I thought was applicable to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, to the teachings of Jesus. And I want to talk about heresy for about five minutes. Is that okay? Heresy, we don't, thank you. uh, Heresy, we don't talk about it a lot, but I think it's important. I think it's important to know what it is we believe. And what it is we need to stay away from. And so let me give you a definition of heresy. And it's this. In Christianity, heresy refers to the rejection or the deviation from essential doctrines and teachings. Heretical beliefs and teachings typically deviate deviate from orthodox or widely accepted Christian doctrines. Often involving a denial or distortion of core theological truths. It, It can be a deviation. It can be a total rejection. But it's real. And through the centuries... Many, many heresies have been dealt with by the church fathers over and over and over again. And so let's, get, let's pick out some characteristics real quickly of, of heresy. Uh, heresy is, a, number one, a departure from the truth of Scripture and apostolic faith, that faith that was given by our apostolic fathers, the apostles, the first disciples, that, that group of people. Uh, it's a departure from truth. Secondly, it's deceptive in that there's always, there can always be a grain of truth within a heresy or, it, but it, it, uh, of truth to it or something right, but it is ultimately false and misleading. It draws us away from our faith. Then uh, number three, it's elitist. It's we've got the special truth and nobody else does. And if you, if you want to know the truth, you have to be a part of where we're going in our particular group. And then number four, it is divisive in the sense of causing factions and frictions within the local church, within the local body, usually over doctrine, usually over some small point that people choose to argue over. And then finally this thought, heresies can shipwreck your faith. It can lead you to a distorted uh, gospel, a different gospel, and if you will, a different Jesus. And so we need to be careful. Can we all agree on that this morning? We just need to be careful about our faith. Now here's the thing, not everything you disagree with is heresy, just so we're all clear. I I mean, some things are just dumb. It doesn't rise to the level of heresy. If you, know, some people, if you thought Adam and Eve could fly before the fall, that's just dumb. That's not heresy. Uh, sometimes you can disagree with people. I've got a good friend who used to pastor right down the street, Steve Starr, good friend of mine, a uh, Presbyterian pastor. They believe in infant baptism. We agree to disagree on that. But that's not heresy. Usually heresies are something that, uh, there are those things that draw you away from sound doctrine, Right? It can, it can, uh, it can. It's something like you know, Jesus was adopted. That's adoptionism. That's that's heresy. Jesus was a created being, or or something like that. Montanism, Arianism, one of those. And so we just need to be careful. And and so here's how to avoid heresies, real quickly this morning. Number one, that's why we're studying God's word. That's why we're in in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the words of Jesus. Number one, you got to know your Bible. You have, to, you have to know particularly what it says about false prophets and false teachers, and we're going to cover that in, in Matthew chapter 7, how to, uh, to know your Bible and to know what sound doctrine is. And then secondly, you, you need to know your, your doctrine and tradition. I, I think it's time to raise the bar a little on what we know about our Christianity. Does that make sense to everybody? That's why we're super excited about what God's going to be doing on Wednesday nights here and, and some plans for the future. It's very exciting. But know Christian doctrine and tradition. Know some of the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the creed at at, at Chalcedon and some of these to give you a full-orbed understanding of what your faith's all about. And then finally, above all else, Proverbs chapter four and verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart because there's a lot of things out there that want to pull you away from your understanding of the gospel, pull you away from your understanding of Jesus. And so it's important to hold tightly to the gospel and your, your faith today. As Professor Bird, the man I was, uh, the professor up there said this. He said, remember that the old time religion is, is better than some new revelation or a new teaching that smells like shrimp left in the sun too long. <laughs> so that's our encouragement to you today. Don't, don't be gullible. We Christians are a little bit, how shall I say it? Well, I'll just say it, gullible. And so if it doesn't line up with, with scripture, if it doesn't line up with faith, then you need to say, oh, that just smells like, you know, three week old shrimp and walk away from it. Okay. And and let me end with this thought. Here it is. Our world world is desperate for a Christian evangelical renewal. Right? Renewal, revival, or awakening. You pick the word. I don't care. I think we need all three. There can be none of those things if we disregard Jesus in any way. There can be no awakening, no revival, no renewal if we ignore Jesus, uh, 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 disregard Jesus in any way. And, And That includes, but not limited to, this is just a a sampling, his divinity, his life, death, resurrection, his authority, uh, or his finished work of atonement. To ignore or disregard his teachings can make us susceptible to heresy. Well, awake? This is important stuff. Uh, So many people are being drawn away from their faith. And so now we're gonna turn a corner. Now we're gonna get into where we need to go, but we can't get there until we cover one more thing. And it's this word, osune. it's a Greek word, osune, and it means this, it's Greek and it's translated as righteousness, it's translated as righteousness in English, in the context of New Testament and the Sermon on the Mount, it it refers to a state of moral and ethical uprightness. It means of living in a particular way, it means living rightly today, it's conformity to a set of standards, particularly God's standards and justice. It embodies both a right standing before God through the blood of Jesus Christ and right behavior in one's relationship to others. You get all that? It, it, righteousness, dikaiosune, righteousness, means right standing before God, but a righteousness that is lived out on a daily basis with those people around us. The word is used in Matthew chapter five in verse 20. Won't have you stand again. But it would say this, for I tell you that unless you're righteous, I mean, this is a powerful verse right here. I mean, listen to it and be blown away by it. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, is that a wow moment or what? Because let's be honest, those Pharisees and Sadducees, I tried to combine those words together, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were expert at this stuff. They, they knew how to keep the law and everything that they had piled on the law. I mean, 600 different particular laws, they knew it. And what Jesus is gonna say, he's gonna say two things. Up in 17, he's gonna say, I have come to fulfill the law, not erase it. And secondly, it goes deeper than what you think. Uh, next week, Pastor Daniel is gonna cover this in depth. I mean, and, and it's okay. I mean, Jesus covers something twice in this passage of scripture. How many think it's okay for us to cover something? He's gonna deep dive into 17 through 20 and then the rest of chapter five. So here's your homework real quickly. Read the rest of Matthew chapter five because that's where we're going. That's where he's going next week. Uh, Pastor Daniel will cover that next week. We read it today because we can't talk about 13 through 16 until you understand 20. Because what Jesus is doing in, in, in chapter, in verse 13 through 16, is he's reinforcing what he said in verse 20. That indeed, I'll just give it to you in a nutshell. If we're going to be salt and light, which are metaphors that don't really work for us, but we're gonna cover them anyway. He's saying if you're gonna do that, you've gotta walk in righteousness. You've gotta walk in a deep, authentic, transparent, vulnerable walk with Jesus so that you can indeed be light and salt today. Osone is the quality of being morally right or just. It's being made right before God because of Jesus It's the state of living in a way that aligns with divine and or or, uh, moral principles. It's living in a manner that reflects obedience to God's commandments and ethical standards. It's a call to discipleship instead of nominal Christianity. Did I actually put that up there? Uh, Yes, Christianity, think of Christian, nominal Christianity. Think of Christian light similar to Coke Zero. Uh, May have a little taste, but there's no calories. And so uh, that was how I thought of it. Here's what it means. The righteousness, some of you got that. The righteousness or dikai osune that Jesus speaks of is going, is going to impact your personal, vocational, and social lives. Because of the righteousness we enjoy in Jesus Christ, we will want to live justly and fairly with and in and towards everyone. We will desire the Holy Spirit of God to transform our character and help us become more like Jesus. Righteousness, dikaiosune. osune. We will care for our community, both inside and outside the church. That's righteousness. We will pursue peace, even with those we may not agree. Last half of you, right there. We will practice righteousness in, in learning to be at peace with those we may not agree with. We will seek to be authentic in our relationships, and we will live with the hope of Jesus and his eventual returns. And in a nutshell, that is righteousness. It's all in Jesus Christ today. And it's living out there in the world. And so we do these things not to, because we want to be like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, but because we have been with Jesus. And when we talk about worship like we just experienced, I mean, wow. When, when we study God's word, when we meditate on it, contemplate on it, re, uh, memorize it, walk in solitude, serve and give, and all those other things, those aren't just things to do, those are things to bring us into the presence of Jesus, And to help us to become more like Jesus as we practice the way our righteousness that is found not in ourselves or in the world, it's found in Christ, begins to grow. That's why we keep pushing these things over and over and over today. We are what we would say, we are fully, our righteousness is in Christ when we stand before God, but how many will agree we are in a transformative state? We are being transformed by our relationship and in the presence of Jesus, So Jesus says this, he said these words, he said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now as I said earlier, for us, you know, a a single candle, a a thing of salt that's usually found on a table, is probably not something that we can really relate to, that we can get our heads around. Uh, You know, it's just, it's different for us. Salt is something we flavor food with a little, lights, we just flip a switch and they all come on. All the kids were at our house yesterday, last night watching the football game, 49ers in the Green Bay, and every single light in the house was on. They weren't in the rooms, they were, they were just on. I mean, that just is what it is. I mean, we take light, we take light for granted and that dad's going to pay the bills. So, uh, but, but, but did this, salt and light were more than metaphors for those people back then. When you study scripture, you gotta, you gotta do one thing first. You gotta go back and be one of the original listeners or hearers. You got to ask yourself, what did it mean to them? Because I'll tell you, it, mean, it this. These metaphors, these examples, these word pictures of salt and light meant a lot more to them than they will to us. For for them, salt was a big deal. And so you got to ask questions on what's the setting, what's the culture, what's the time they are living in. And so take a minute and see the world through their eyes. It'll help you in your study. So here's the thing: we've already established that salt meant more then than it does now. Real quickly, salt was, as we all know, but and in some parts of the world it is still used. It's it was used as preservation. They didn't have freezers and refrigerators, refrigerate, refrigeration. So they they packed the fish, they packed the meat, they cured it, they, they covered in it in salt uh, to preserve it. Food could be transported over large distances, long distances, because. Of the power of salt preservation. It was used as seasoning. It was made to intensify flavors. It was helped to help, it was helped, it was to make food taste better. It was also of economic value. In some cultures, salt was used as currency. Uh, sometimes Roman soldiers were, were paid in salt. Uh, governments sometimes collected taxes in salt. It it was used as symbols in religious practices, not just Christianity, but other practices as well. Used in ritual ceremonies. It was used in trade and commerce. Salt was valuable. And if you were a town or a city that lived near somewhere where salt could be gotten easily, your town was much more wealthy than another town. It was used in health and medicine. Salt was used to clean wounds. It was used as an antiseptic. It was used in food processing. It was used to pickle vegetables. It was used to cure olives, which was a big deal in the Middle Eastern setting of where this is. It was used to, uh, uh, in the fermenting process, salt was used for everything. Salt was used in husbandry, the care of animals. Salt was used everywhere. It was used as a symbol of hospitality. If you gave someone a little salt, you were saying to them you wanted to be their friend. You were saying you respected them. It was a sign of mutual trust and goodwill. Here's the thing. Back then, 2,000 years ago, in antiquity, the value of salt can't be overstated. Any of you amazed yet? Okay, well, hold on. Here's the thing. Now Jesus, because of their understanding of salt, it's a big deal then. It may not be a big deal now, but it was a big deal then. What does Jesus now say? You, those people, sitting by the Sea of Galilee, looking up the hill where Jesus is sitting... He looks at them and he says these words, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, he's saying, you need to go out in the world and be a preserving agent. You need to preserve that as things are deteriorating around you, your very presence in my name, you you can preserve relationships and you can preserve homes. You can preserve things that you couldn't do apart from me. Jesus is saying, get out there in the world and enhance life. Add flavor. As you walk into a room, as you walk into a situation, as you walk into good times and bad times, let your life be so filled with me that you enhance and build up and add flavor to life. Jesus is saying... By the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, we demonstrate a different economy. We demonstrate we don't live as the world lives. We live in the kingdom of God because that's where we're from. Jesus is saying by saying you're salt, he's saying by grace, with with grace we help wounds and things that are broken. Go be salt. By our integrity, we push back against the darkness of this world. And by our DK Osone, our righteousness, we point people to a God that loved them so much, he gave them Jesus. Then Jesus said some pretty important, almost disheartening words. He said, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. See, here's the thing. And this is for the 21st century church, us, me included. When we compromise and adopt attitudes and behaviors consistent with the world's ideology, we lose our distinctiveness. You with me? We lose our saltiness. When we fail to love others in the righteousness of Christ, we lose our impact, we lose our saltiness. When our actions don't follow the teachings of Jesus, we lose our effectiveness, our saltiness. When we emphasize rules over grace and condemnation over mercy, we lose our voice. When we become culturally assimilated to where people can't tell us any different from the world by how we live and how angry we get and the things that we post and all those different things, it leads to apathy, it leads to inaction, and I'm going to say it again, we lose our voice. Failure to live out kingdom values weakens our witness when we fail to live in the righteousness of Christ, we lose our saltiness. Everyone's still here. The idea is so important that Jesus changes his metaphor. He changes his word picture, and he hits it once again. He said the idea of, he, say, he says this now. He says, you are, and by the way, how many know if Jesus says something twice, it's important? If Jesus says something twice, it's important. And he's saying something twice here. He's just changing the picture. First, he says, you are the salt of the, the earth, but now you're the light of the world. Now, light, was, uh, uh, light to us isn't a big deal. I mean, we've got more lights in here than anything. Lights up there, lights up there. That, that board has, I don't know how many it has, but it just has a lot. Individual lights. I mean, light's just not that big a deal to us, except when we go and see fireworks. That's about the only time. But man, imagine these people. You know, these some of them who only had one light in their whole house. My dad didn't have light in his house and when he got light in his house as an eighth grader, it was one little bulb hanging and the reason he got the light in the house is because they need lighted for the barn. But to these people, Jesus is saying something that he, they fully understand how important light is. It was used in religious and symbolic symbolism. Light was associated with the divine and the sacred in, in, in Roman in, in Roman. In Greek and in Judeo-Christian understanding and culture, light played a big deal in festivals and in celebrations, the festival of lights, lighting the menorah. I mean, it was all a big deal. Light was used as a navigational age. I really love this one. It gets me a little emotional. Uh, it, it was, an, In other words, light could point people in the right direction. Essential for safe travel. It was a symbol of life and prosperity, Jesus chose something that people would be drawn to, literally, and could make a difference. People were drawn to light, and the darker the night, the more important light became. Right? The darker the night, the more important light becomes. Then he speaks to the crowd, and he says, you are the light of the world, a town built On a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying to those people then, and I believe he's saying to us, let's not forget who we are. We are people who live out dikaiosone, righteousness of Christ, of God. Don't forget who we are. Don't forget your purpose or your calling. Let people see who Jesus is by who we are. Let our light shine in the dark places of culture. Let us live in such a way that people see the power of God and choose to worship him. Draw people to God by our righteousness. That is God-given. Now here's the thing. Light and salt, again, may not impress us all that much in our 21st century thinking. So, and and I'm not adding it to scripture, but I wanted to rewrite it in words that maybe we could understand a little bit more, so I rewrote that passage. And here it is, and if you like it, great. If not, don't tell me about it. Um, You are Christ's cultural influencers on the earth. But if Christ's influencers lose their, that should probably be lose, lose their influence, how can they be influential again? They are no longer good for anything except to be ignored. You are Christ's social media presence in the world. Christ's presence should not be hidden. Christ's presence should overcome the foolishness of cultural social media. Finally, Christ's influencers communicate and post in such a way that all people see their compassion, grace, and wisdom. In this way, their influence and presence glorify their Father in heaven. Make sense? This is who we are. I think the problem is we have diminished righteousness to a point that it's no longer important. And it's really not all our, our fault. But uh, I was listening to a guy named David Brooks. And he said some things that caught my attention. He's a writer for the New York Times. He's also, a, I believe, a Christian. He said this. He said, people who say they have no close friends is quadrupled in our time. There's a, 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 very, there's a real lack of community. People who have committed suicide has risen by a third since 2020. People struggling with depression is up 57%. 54% of Americans say that nobody knows them well. Drunk driving fatalities are up even though we are driving less miles on the road due to COVID. There are just more fights on airplanes. Have you noticed that? Just more fights on airplanes. There's more anger. There's more depression. There's more anxiety. There's more stress. And there's never been a time more important for the church to be salt and light. We live in a time. And please understand how I say this. Because it's not my intent to make you angry about it. Because that's just like the world. That's, that's cultural assimilation but we live in a time of what one writer calls moral anarchy moral anarchy I think one of the problems is there it felt like, I'm not sure it was but it felt like there was a time where we believed in morality we believed in doing the right thing to whatever extent we had understanding, we, we tried to, te- to live a certain way, live by a set of rules of conduct. Some people lived their character because of their faith, others because they joined. I mean, even in the military, there's a code of conduct. Some, it was just a holdover from time where grandpa and grandma and mom and dad said, this is how you will act and this is how you will live. And you will do these things and you will not do these things. Somewhere in the mid 1950s, there was a movement that said humanity is inherently good. It's been around forever, but it reappeared. Humanity is inherently good, that we have the natural ability to be good and to do things right. That there's no need for a moral code in general because that moral code lives within each of us and we we can work out our own and we can do what is right, as the Bible said, in our own eyes. Each person can live by their own moral code and morality became irrelevant or moral relevance. And and, and we in the church, we get so angry with that. There needs to be some firmness to how we live and man, I agree with you, but it needs to be based on Jesus. And it became easier to get angry and draw the line between good and evil between groups of people. That was easier than saying the line between good and evil doesn't run out there between groups. It runs down the middle of my heart. That before I can look at them, I have to look at me. And ask myself the hard questions. Well, the evidence is in. The results are in. It turns out we are not inherently good our hearts are prone toward evil. That scripture is correct that we are indeed morally bankrupt. I put bankrupt because I thought depraved was a little harsh, but you know when I say bankrupt, that's what I mean, depraved. And we desperately need a savior. We desperately need a a morality that doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. God. That it's okay when God sometimes says you shall not do that because not only is it wrong, it hurts you and it hurts those around you. When Jesus says you shall have no other gods, it's not because he's just one way. He sees that you need to follow the one true God. You shall not lie. You shall not covet these things. If Matthew chapter 5 and 17 through 20, if If that passage that Pastor Dan is gonna cover next week is the heart of the gospel, then 13 through 16 is the missional statement. And it says this, based on what God is doing in you, go out there and live differently. Be salt, be light, because the world is desperate for goodness. The world is desperate for those who are not as angry at them, but point them to an alternative whose name is Jesus. Jesus said, let your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. Live in such a way that brings light to everyone in the house. Let them see us live differently. Do good to others and glorify God by how we live. Bob Johnson used to be on staff here. He's in Arizona. Enjoying incredibly good weather. Said that someone in his his life group back when he was here years ago went through some problems. I, I know the individual. Just a couple of months ago he just found out, Bob did, that this person that has walked that aisle, has heard the song sung, has heard the message of the gospel, was so overwhelmed by life that he took his own. Is there not a call today for the church to arise and cry out for the righteousness of God? The ushers are going to come and uh, just hold it in your hands because we will partake together. Let's worship the Lord as they come. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.